The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Growing up the child of homosexual parents, Caleb experienced what happens when people do not respond in the wisdom of balancing grace and truth. Took me with them to parties, parades, clubs, uh, campouts, you name it, I was there. At one point, uh, seeing uh, Christians, quote unquote Christians, spray uh, people in the parade with urine. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? And she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. what challenges you may face, but everyone I talk to seems to face some kind of a challenge. And one of them that has really come to the attention of many people who care or many people who've been directly impacted in some way, with the same-sex attraction, the gay revolution, as they call it, the awakening, uh, transformation, <clears throat> and correction of American and church thinking, some would say, it's, uh, it's very serious. Uh, I had one father, a very successful businessman, uh, heard me talking about loving everybody no matter where they are, and he, he stood up and uh, he said, uh, if you can't love people who have a problem with same-sex attraction or uh, the gay issue, you may need one in your family so you learn how to love them. And that really hit home with a lot of people because it seems that sometimes it's hard to love people who are outside what you would call, from your point of view, the norm. Either personally you have that position or you say biblically uh, you have that point of view. And then all of a sudden in the family there's someone who says uh, this is who we are or this is what we're faced with or struggling with. And you don't know what to do if they're in your immediate family or a loved one's family or a neighbor, what do you do? Well, our guest, Caleb, had the situation of having parents who were gay, and before the situation was over, he was actually being taken to these parades, and then he heard the accusations or the comments of people who would be holding a Christian banner or a sign or a cross but they didn't seem like they liked any of the people and there was a lot of hatred. God hates fags, God hates gay, and he's just a little guy. Well, he's with us and he wants to talk about it and he's written a book that everyone who's read it, it's just come out, says they, they, they've never seen anybody handle it better. Sheila Walsh, who's on our staff, said to me before we came out here, I think this has been approached the wisest and most effective way I've ever seen. And so Caleb Kottenbach is here, and uh, he pastors a great church out in California, and he knows how to deal with this issue, and that's why he wrote the book, Messy Grace. Would you welcome Caleb to life today? Caleb, we're glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Caleb, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Um, when I was two years old, 
my parents divorced. They were both university professors. And uh, after they divorced, they entered into same-sex relationships. I didn't know about my dad till later on, right before I got out of college or right after. But my mom was in a 22 monogamous uh, year relationship with a psychologist named Vera. And they moved to Kansas City. And uh, as you said, they were activists, uh, joined the local board of directors of GLAAD, took me with them to parties, parades, clubs, uh, campouts, you name it, I was there. And I saw the ugliness that you're talking about. I even remember, and I write about it in the book, at one point uh, seeing uh, Christians, quote unquote Christians, spray uh, people in the parade with urine and water. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? And she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. And I remember uh, just seeing that enforced over and over again, seeing people die of AIDS and seeing how their Christian families treated them when they died. By the time I got to high school, my life was out of control. My hair was down to here and the Lord has taketh away and added <laughs> other places. <laughs> and uh, we lost a bet. And um, we, uh, I, I got invited to a high school Bible study led by a high schooler, four high schoolers. And so I thought this was a perfect opportunity. I'd go there and pretend to be a Christian and learn about the Bible and then dismantle their faith. Mm. And I still remember I'd never walked into a conservative or evangelical Christian household before, walking in and seeing pictures of scripture and sheep and lions. And I thought to myself, I've never seen so many animals in frames. I'm like, <laughs> if I turn Christian, do I have to get a sheep picture? Is that part of the, is that part of the deal? went downstairs and I learned that Jesus was not like the people on the street corner, the people ignoring their children who died of AIDS. I gave my life to the Lord and then I came out as a Christian to my three gay parents when I was a teenager and they kicked me out um, because I told them that I believe that God designed sexual intimacy to be expressed between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, which I still believe today. And that's how I interpret scripture in here. But I also said that a theological catalyst is never a conviction to treat somebody less, to devalue somebody. The love of God should drive us to love people more. And I ended up going to Bible college and uh, graduated, went out to uh, Southern California, served at a large church, Shepherd Church, for about 11 years and ended up coming out here. And both my parents moved separately of one another to be closer to our family. They started attending my church that I was preaching at, even though they knew what I believe. And in the summer of 2013, we moved back to California to go pastor Discovery Church. And two weeks before we moved back, both my parents gave their lives to the Lord. And they trusted Christ. And You know, I look at it, and it's just, it's, it's beautiful because they believe in Jesus. They don't believe everything I do, just like we all probably have theological differences. They're not in a same-sex relationship. They still feel this attraction. They might slip up, but they're not doing anything with it. How does all that go together? I don't know. You know, God called me never to change somebody myself, but to point them to Jesus and the cross. And he's much better at life change than I am. Do you believe that the, that attraction is some sort of a bondage that people can be delivered from? I know Betty asked me after we'd visited you just a little while ago, do you believe in, well, how did you ask it exactly? I said, well, I believe in deliverance because I know the God I, I worship has delivered me from things in my life that could have held me back right. as a Christian, you know, like fear, uh, self, low self-image, a lot of different things in my life. So I, I believe in deliverance. Right. And, and so when, you, when, when uh, you deal with this situation, does that come across that 
that th they, there can be deliverance? I think, you know, I had a conversation with a professor at Dallas Seminary named Daryl Bach, and we talked about how there are some people that seem to be softwired and hardwired. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are some people where you can see their family history, you see what happened to them in the past, and I believe that, you know, their, their choices to be in a same-sex relationship seem to be reflecting that. But then there are some people that I've met, and as far as they've told me, nothing bad has happened, nothing horrible has happened. And so instead of going out and looking for a suspect, you know, definitely praying for that person, loving that person, people ask me, do you believe that people are born that way? And I say, you know, I, I don't know. That's not the right question because I'm not interested in a birthright. I'm interested in what the Bible says, a biblical worldview. And I've had people in my office praying, asking, saying, I've, I've, I've prayed, I've gone to counseling, I've read the Bible, I've worshiped, I've done all these things. And yet God hasn't removed the struggle from me. And I say the most profound theological thing I can. I say, I don't know. But I do know this. Um, Paul cried out for his thorn to be removed three times, and God said, no, it teaches you to re rely on my grace. And I told them, I have plenty of unanswered prayers, but we need to be faithful to God no matter what. So, in other words, the, that relationship is not biblically approved, right? Same-sex no. No, God designed sexual intimacy to, for the expression in marriage between a man and a woman. A male and a female. Anything outside of heterosexual intimacy and marriage, even if it's heterosexual affair outside of marriage, sleeping together before you're married, that's outside of God's design. And I think all of us have various struggles in our lives that we may struggle with over a period of time or maybe our entire life. But we realize it's a struggle because we realize that there's something there that God says... I can enable you to overcome, or you can reach a point where that's no longer pulling you down. It may be a long battle, but you've got a standard. Now, what I try to say to people is we never move God's standard of truth to accommodate our failure or our misdeeds, our sins, or our opinion. We, we seek to keep the standard in its right place, pointing people to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think people can struggle with a lot of things, still experience the love of God, still be seeking to be faithful to God, <clears throat> but you still don't approve something that the Bible obviously disapproves of. Are you comfortable with that? No, absolutely. I think, um, I think there's a huge um, difference between acceptance and approval. And I think that we should accept anybody um, because our love for people should never depend on them. It should depend on God. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 43, uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. He said, hey, you know what? If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? You know, don't even tax collectors do that. So my love for other people is based on God's love for me. Um, however, that doesn't mean that I approve of every choice that somebody makes, like the choice to be in a same-sex relationship, the choice to cheat on taxes. And really what you're you know, talking about... to live in a heterosexual yeah. relationship. Without being married. Sexual without being married. So yeah. really what you're talking about is what I talk about in this book. And I think it speaks a little bit to what you're talking about with deliverance. Because even though God sometimes may allow the struggle, mm -hmm. we, we still need to be delivered from this feeling to have to give in all the time. Mm -hmm. And we need to rely on his power. And there's a tension there. There's a healthy tension between grace and truth. You know, some people are just on the side of grace over here like this rubber band. And if you hold a rubber band by one side, it's flimsy. It has no power. And some people are just on the side of truth. And if you hold it by this end, it's flimsy. There's no power. 
But John chapter 1, 14, 17 say that Jesus came full of both grace and truth. And so if we follow Jesus' model, look where the tension is. If I say I'm about grace and truth, the tension is in the middle, and that's where the power is. And by the way, when it comes to loving people in grace and truth and living in the tension, we already do it in our faith. We believe in one God but the Trinity. We believe Jesus is fully God and fully human. The Bible is written by God and people. God is sovereign, but he gives us responsibility. And so there is a healthy tension. You can't sacrifice what God says in his word, but you can never sacrifice love either. I'm sure you would agree. No, I 100% agree. And I think that the only way you're going to see people set free is the encounter that love makes possible. <clears throat> There's a grace invitation when you see it being extended in love that causes people to respond. One of the things you pointed out when we were just visiting a little bit was that a lot of the people in whatever area, let's say they're struggling in, they have a, they have a feeling of loneliness that they're going to be cut off. And you've said people who are struggling with any, any issue, if they feel like they're not going to be loved or accepted, they have a tendency then to try to find comfort or, or some kind of a satisfaction, perhaps even in a relationship that's not healthy. And they think if others won't love them, they'll never come that way. So there's, there's something that I think maybe the church puts on people that makes them feel unaccepted, unloved, and like you could never be accepted. And they're living with this anxiety of just loneliness and being cut off. Is that, is that a fact? I, I believe so. I believe so. Um, somebody who, who says, I'm not going uh, to give in to same-sex desires. I'm going to be celibate. It's different than a heterosexual person saying that they're going to be celibate. Because a heterosexual person, there's always a chance that they'll meet somebody. But somebody who's same-sex attracted, unless they're delivered in some way, shape, or form, that will never happen for them. And so that's, a, that's, that's something that we have to respect and understand. That's a big decision. I remember a conversation I had with my mother one time. I don't know how it came up. Nobody ever wants to have this conversation with their mom. I didn't bring it up. But my mom, <laughs> just so you know, my mom said, you know, Caleb, um, you know, the last several years of my relationship with Vera, you know, we were not intimate. You know, again, nobody wants to hear that from their mom. <laughs> but I remember I looked at my mom, and this is before mm. she came to Christ. I said, so, you know, you're, you're not a lesbian anymore. She said, well, sure I am. You know, we haven't been intimate in years, but that's my community. Those are my people. I have relationships and acceptance. I'm part of a cause and a movement. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mom, you just described the church. And she said, no, I didn't. Why in the world would I go somewhere that would make me feel less about myself? And it really dawned on me at that point that it's all about identity more than anything. I mean, is sexual intimacy part of it? Yeah. But I met my, share, my fair share of couples who are same-sex couples who aren't even intimate anymore, and yet that's how they identify themselves. And so really, I think the core issue of our time today, uh, the, the issue that we need to be tackling as a culture is really identity. And you see it uh, with Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner. You see it with a lady from the NAACP in the Northwest who says, you know, even though I'm Caucasian, I still identify as African-American. I really believe that there is a huge identity crisis. And what we learn from scripture is we were created by God, for God, to be identified by God. And I think that America, I think that the whole world needs to understand that. And so the average person, I think, who uh, identifies as LGBT wouldn't look at it as a struggle, even though I think that's a correct word. They would say, no, this is my identity. So how do we get them to shift it over to Jesus? And I would say this, that unless we love them, right? Jesus said in John 13, 35, that we were talking about earlier, Jesus said, hey, 
the world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. And I don't know that other people will really listen to what we say about holy living and how the Bible calls us to holy living if they don't know that we love them. I think if people know that we care, they will listen more than we ever give credit for. Well, Betty and I have actually invited people who tell us they're gay, lesbian or whatever, and uh, to come and sit with us and that we would just be pleased to sit. We usually sit down kind of near the front at Gateway Church and uh, kind of over to the side, but near the front. And we said, you just come sit with us and we meant it. And I can, I can simply say to any person that, that you know, James, you wouldn't approve of what we are. I love you very deeply, care very much. And I would want you to have the same love for me if you knew I was struggling with something. Everything we struggle with in life, I think we long to have somebody that would be willing to walk it out. Dennis Jernigan, who was homosexual and actually had, he's a great psalmist and songwriter and a great praise leader. He actually had a counselor at the Baptist school he was in, university, put a move on him and have sex with him when he went for counseling. So that's how messed up his situation was. But a man walked into his life and said, Dennis, I know what you struggle with. And I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to walk with you until you win. I'll never leave you. And it changed Dennis's life. He's married and has... Nine or ten nine children, children now, nine children. <laughs> That's pretty good deliverance right there, you'd have to say. And he's a great songwriter. But I think what that man said to him, he was saying, I know who you are. I know what's going on. I love you. I won't leave you. I'm going to walk through this till you win. Is that a good approach? Absolutely, because that's God's approach with us. I think that's what he says in Isaiah 43, uh, 1 and 2. He says, hey, you're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through the water. I'm going to go with you. Absolutely. I won't always rescue you, but I'm going to be there with you. And you've written this to help people that have the battle, somebody in their family, the struggle, let's say, whatever you want to call it, or just the issue, or people who know someone, and you feel like this is something God will use to really help them walk through it and be a light and a blessing to others. I do, too. I do. And I think uh, hopefully it will help heal families and friendships. Oh, that's my prayer. Well, Sheila Wall, she's sitting up here in the audience. She's part of the Life Outreach team now in Life Today. Sheila said, this is the best I've ever read or seen to help people who in some way in their family fight this battle. Would you say thanks to Caleb for being so open and honest and full of love and awesomeness, the grace, the grace that will reach any of us in our mess because God loves us who we are. I want you, if you would, do something that you've told us that you find incredible joy in. I want you to look in and I want you to see a woman's heart. I want you to hear her heart. And some of you as women and sensitive people as men, you can feel what's in her heart. And she's got a challenge, but you really have the answer. I want you to watch carefully and prayerfully and see if you don't get excited about what love can do in response to this. Watch. In Africa, the rainy season is often anything but. Thirsty crops begin to fail, and the first victims are the children. 
Paulina has been here before. Not enough food for a single person, much less her entire family. And her desperation draws up the grief of children lost because she knows she could face it again. Her future unknown, Paulina fights hopelessness and persists in prayer that a miracle will come. Will you be that miracle today? Betty, when you see that precious mother and you see the little bitty meager amounts of food and there she is trying to sweep her little dirt floor and I can promise you if she found any morsel of food, she'd collect it. And by the way, these people who uh, <clears throat> appear to be so poor, and they are, they actually try to keep their meager things neat. Those are precious mothers. And uh, when you hear her heart cry, what happens in your heart is you look out at our viewers and realize we could feed those children and we've been able to do it. What do you want to happen? We have fed many of the children that we've asked you to help us with and we couldn't do it without your help to feed these children. And the mothers, it just breaks my heart. I can't even imagine losing five children. We've lost one and that hurts bad enough. So the heartache of that mother has to be enormous. And she's got children left, as you could see, and she doesn't want them to die like the others have died. She just needs food for them. She has nowhere to turn. She's down to that little bit in that can. I can't even imagine. But we can reach out and love and hope and help these mothers that are so desperate for their children. They just need food. It's a simple solution to that. So let's join together and let's get the food to them for her precious babies. And it's something we've been doing for more than 20 years and saving millions of lives. And the, she referenced a little bowl of porridge we had already gotten to her. So there will be a feeding uh, area set up right there for that little baby you saw. Precious little child, when I look at him, I feel like Jesus wants to pick him up. And I think we're his arms to pick him up. I think we're his hands. I think we express the love that's in his heart. And the missionaries are there. They planted their lives in the midst of pain and suffering. But they have planted their lives there because there is hope that love offers. They have that hope in their heart. Their hands are anxious to help. But we're the ones that give the missionaries and relief workers the food to distribute, the care that they need to set up the feeding lines, the little heat-resistant bowls that our viewers said we want those children to have. So what we're asking you to do right now, and we come to you just a few times a year, and we say, would you help us take care of, at this time, 400,000 little children like the one you just saw there with that precious mother? Would you help us? And let me tell you how wonderfully God answers prayer. A group of our friends said, we so believe in this. But you tell the viewers if they'll help, we're going to match the gift that they give to reach 50,000 of those children. So if you make a gift... We'll match it, which means that 30, 50, or 100, which feeds 3, 5, or 10, 
Well, you make one of those gifts and suddenly the 30 takes care of six and, and the $50 takes care of 10 and it, it doubles everything that you're doing. Now you're not just caring for 10 with that $100 gift, but 20. $1,000 doesn't just care for 100, but now 200, a $1,000 gift will do that. It will multiply immediately. So would you simply dial the number there or go to lifetoday.org and take your bank card and make the best gift you can. Thank you so much for doing that. Father, I pray every person who saw that mother and heard her heart cry will become an answer to the heart cry of hundreds of thousands of mothers in behalf of their precious children. In Jesus' name, lifetoday.org or dial the number, use your bank card. Would you please like a check? If you write a check, make it to life because that's what you're giving. But call us and tell us what you're sending. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you on behalf of those mothers and those children. Thank you. In remote and impoverished areas of Angola, Africa, families are suffering. Crops have failed. There is no food. And those hit the hardest are the children. In response to this crisis, Life Outreach has received a 50,000 children challenge that with your help will feed and minister to 100,000 children over the next few months. With previous food reserves gone and Angola facing a severe food shortage due to crop failure, this challenge could not have come at a better time. To help replenish supplies for the feeding programs touching the lives of children across Angola, Mozambique, and Sudan. The 50,000 Children Challenge means more children can be saved and your gift will have a double impact, helping to feed twice as many children. Your gift of $30 to help feed three children will now be double to help feed six children. Gifts of $50 to help feed five children will be double to help save 10. And gifts of $100 for 10 children will be double to help feed and care for 20 children. And with a gift of $1,000 or more, you can double your impact to help feed 200 children and also request the Majesty Bronze Sculpture, featuring a beautiful buck and regal stance, reflecting God's presence and majesty in all the earth. Please call the number seen here, write life, or go online today to lifetoday.org and make your life-saving double impact gift today. You know, I hope many of you will ask for the majesty, the beautiful bronze. What we've shared today is Caleb calls it messy grace. I think you could find the answer you may be looking for if you're, you feel like maybe I'm trapped or this is just who I am. But I'd like to hear about love and grace or you say, I want to know how to deal with someone in my family, how to love them, how to reach out appropriately so they'll know they're loved, wherever they are in their battle, in their challenge in their area of need or pain or hurt. I think it'll be a blessing. You simply help us give someone some of that food that'll change their life and say, hey, how about sending me something to just help me reach out? We'll be glad to do that. It is in the bookstores. You might point people to it or online. But if you'd like to have it, we'll be so glad to send it to you so you can share this wonderful grace. Would you join Betty and me in saying thanks again to Caleb. Thanks for opening God bless your parents. God bless your church family. And all you do, Caleb. Thank all of you for watching life today and thanks for sharing life. Let's share it every day, somewhere in some way.
Tomorrow, best-selling author John Eldridge declares that prayer really works and encourages us to pray with passion, confidence, and authority. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.